I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Welcome, 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 dear listeners. Welcome to a double header edition of Acton Millwall. Um, we've had we've done some recording today, two conversations. First one that you're going to hear very shortly is with Murph Payne who is the author of a number of Millwall books. Um, more, most um, pertinently at the moment, he's got a new book out about the 1979-80 to 80 FA Cup winning youth side. So we're going to go on to Merv Payne very shortly. In the other edition, which you'll get as a separate podcast, you lucky people, a lot of, lot of content today. Um, we're going to have a conversation with um, a mate of mine online, Tony Monday, and we're talking to Tony separately about his favourite Mill 11 versus the best Mill 11. The two are not necessarily the same, though strangely, as you'll hear on the other show, they often do go quite hand in hand. So if you want to tune into that show, um, that'll go in as a separate podcast, Tony Monday and myself in conversation. But let's um, go straight over now to Merv Payne talking about his new book, Ordinary Boys. Take it away, Merv. You are listening to Achten. Milwaukee. Welcome back to another, an occasional guest to the show, Merv Payne. Very welcome guest. Welcome to the show, Merv. Hello, thanks, Nick. Now, you you are doing what I always tell myself I ought to be doing, which is writing books, because <laughs> I always, you, you must have a discipline in you, Merv, that I don't have, because I always sit down with a blank sheet of paper and like, find some other diversion social media tends to be my diversion but you've you've, you've written another book um to yeah. go on on with your series you've had, you've actually become yeah. prolific haven't you yeah not, not intentionally um yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it just it, happened I, yeah i mean i had people for years telling me you, you should write a book about the story about you and your dad and I, I, i'd sit down like yourself I'd sit down i'd write a bit i'd come back to it i'd look at it and think that's 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 you know, it's rubbish it's got to be it's got to be something that I'd enjoy reading myself. Yeah. And um, what I ended up doing um, a couple of years ago was I decided I wanted, I think it was the 30th anniversary of Mill getting promoted to the first division. I thought, you know, that, that's got to be something worth documenting. I'll, 
probably start small and it just sort of I did a bit every night and it just sort of came out but, but when I was writing it I found I kept finding references to me personally yeah because it was such a big thing I remember from, from my dad it was my dad's holy grail like a lot of mill sports of his age to get to the first division you know it was such a big thing for him and so it became rather than just a document a statistical sort of report of the season getting promoted it became and it just and it just sort of merged into the, the whole story of me and my dad and and, and I found it pretty easy to put together you know it's a wonderful read. I, I really enjoy it because Thank my you. dad does. Yeah. Um, which you can get on Amazon, listeners. So this, 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 this is a professional plug section of the show. Where is a no, plug? Okay. Well, you might as well make well, the most of it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, all of them on Tinder as well, so you don't even need to leave your, leave your armchair, let alone your house. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's, it's a really, really well-written book. And um, I've, I, what I liked about it, and I think you, you, you've touched on it just there, is the fact that football... Millwall in our case, because that's the mm. club that we follow. I think football generally is often a, as much about the football as, as it's about life itself and, and what goes yeah. on around it. It's yeah, we, we, all, we all feel that at times. And I think whenever you mm. think of any season, 88, um, 87, 88 being probably yeah. the, the classic example, it's about what goes mm. on around it, Mervyn. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's um, the story of your dad and, and yourself. You've also done another an, another book, A Natural High, which is a, more of a, a kind of a conventional account of the of the of, of the story of the Lions in, in yeah. that um, it, yeah, first it division season. Yeah, it seems to make sense to follow on from that. Really, it was like a because I mean, I I don't know if any of your your listeners have, have got James Murray's like brilliant mural history of the Lions of the South. Lions of the South, yeah, well, great work. It's, yeah. I reckon, I'm biased, obviously, but I, it must be one of the best club history out there really because it's Absolutely. so so detailed so well written and it's just a shame that james also happens to be the author of the whiskey bible so i think <laughs> seriously he's a whiskey he's a world-renowned whiskey he's, a, he's an authority yeah that's right he is. yeah so he's not got time he didn't sort of pick up and the story ended just at the start of the 87 88 season where things really started to happen and james murray probably would have done it far better than me but i sort of took it upon myself in a way to continue the story um, so yeah, I mean the, the personal aspect didn't I didn't think need to be brought into the a natural high. I thought it, it would just be good to have some just 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 tell people how it was, you know, and the things that happened and uh, it was just a, a bizarre sort of time and everything sort of sitting a click and go right for Millwall and that and uh, in typical Millwall fashion collapse around their ears again, you know. But of course, yeah, yeah. I, but I found it a lot easier to, to write that one once once you sort of get into the swing of things and that and it was it was I was absolutely gobsmacked at how well received it was you know it was it was really 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 had a really good reaction which was which was really nice but now you've you've you, you, you your authorship is continuing um yeah have you, have you written any other books Murph? just out of it is, is it are these are these, these your, just, your, only... just the three yeah but yeah i sort of it's funny i've sort of become a bit addicted to it if i'm honest yeah i've sort of it has an effect yeah, I've not been able to. I've gone from not been able to think of any ideas or finish more than a chapter to be able to, to sort of like I'm. I'm to be honest, I'm well into my fourth now because I've got nothing else to do at the moment. To be honest, so. Um, fair, fair play, fair play to you, mate. Yeah. I, I admire it. I, I find um, I'd love to do it, but I find speaking into a microphone probably easier. And I'm, I'm the world's laziest bloke in that way. So, um, yeah. I, I admire the, your your self discipline. But you have a new workout, and this is available on Amazon. Uh, dear listeners, is, yeah, yeah. Just get yourself onto Amazon and type in the words "ordinary boys book" and it will pop up. Merv Payne, P A Y N E, um, ten ninety nine. I think I saw yeah. when I looked, looked earlier on. Um, 
and Murph, this is this is an account. This is an interesting subject because I mean I, I lived um, this time with you, mm. you know, not with you, but in that in the sense yeah. of the long at the same time as you. And I remember yeah. the this was an odd time at Mill. We're talking about the 1978-79 Mill yeah. FA Youth Cup winning side. Mm, um, that's right. Yeah. And it's a, I mean it was at a time where the club was. Well, it, was, it had a, a way to go in, in trouble yet, um, but this was like the, mm. we're on the brink of a, of, a, of a steep descent, a steep decline in the early yeah. 80s. Yeah. But, we, but somehow we managed to produce a, a, a youth um, squad that won the FA Youth against Manchester City over a two-leg final. It's quite yeah. an achievement. Quite an achievement. Definitely, yeah. I think it's a funny one because I think it's a story that Millwall fans of all ages are aware of. Um, yeah. Obviously, those of a certain age who were there and, and, and were obviously a lot more aware of it. Um, but obviously, because there was no internet and no video highlights and that sort of thing, and because it was the youth team, there's, there's very little to properly document it. Um, so I was I, literally I'd been taking my dad took me to my first game, age seven, the season after 7980, um, when most of that team was actually first team players. And in fact, the, the, the bloke who scored the only goal of my first game was Kevin O'Callaghan, who came out of that team. Yeah. And a couple of months later, was sold off. And at the time, was the most expensive 17-year-old in, in, in the game. Sold to um, Ipswich, I think. If yeah, that's right. Ipswich. So it's something I've always known about, and I've always thought there's much more of a story to it. And um, what it came, it came about is Phil Coleman's very active on Facebook. Yes, um, yeah. And I got chatting to him, and we just kept got chatting about it, and there was so much more to it. And when I started looking into it, um, I just thought there was a, a, definitely a story to be told there so, that even people who were there at the time perhaps weren't aware of. No, and, I mean, yeah, I... There was, there was, yeah, there was tons. There was, there was. I was actually, I was gobsmacked. I was a bit wary at first. Thought, you know, would this make a book or would it just make a, a an, an article? But there was so much there when I started digging. Yeah. So you've in, you've interviewed players. I mean, Phil Coleman, I remember from from the uh, the the eighties playing for Millwall. Yeah. It's it's interesting just looking at the names. I'm looking at Wikipedia. We will mm. um, be Manchester City. There's not much detail. It's just got the names of the players here. So you've got yeah. like Peter Gleisher, Paul Sansom, David yeah. Martin, yeah. Phil Coleman. Um, yeah. You know, just scanning Andy Massey, Dave Mehmet, yeah. Kevin O'Callaghan. Yeah. Wonderful names from a very, very different era. Um, yeah. And... Uh, something that struck me, and I don't know if you'd, you'd agree with this, um, I would have expected those names. I mean, Kevin O'Callaghan perhaps is the only one that went on to any great success elsewhere. Yeah. The, the other players didn't, did they? They they seemed to have a little spell playing with Millwall, no. and then I think Gleisha yeah. went off to to to, to Colchester or the South End. Gleisha North went to Northampton and became, I think, their record of joint the record appearance maker, and yeah, yeah. he had a really good career at Northampton. I think. What was I, I managed to interview pretty much every player from that team, okay. right. yeah. And um, there was a real common, there were lots of common themes, but um, one of them was that as individuals, we were, we were decent, you know, okay players, but as a team, once they were put together, something just clicked and they were just like unbeatable, they just felt unbeatable. And right. I managed to speak to uh, Vince Allaire of Palace, yeah, who who came through their youth team and it was a bit of a golden era for, for, for youth football in that, or that area of London at the time because Palace won the Youth Cup in yeah. 77 and 78 and then Millwall in 79. Yeah. And Hilaire was a member of that team, yeah. He was. All three of those teams were out. Well, all, all three of those occasions, those teams were outside the top division, which was actually quite rare. And, um, I mean, even Vince Allaire said, 
that that real team was, was was something else. You know, when they played him, they're the only team that gave him a, gave him a game. Yeah. You know? um, but he said something very similar that when he went to Palace, you felt something special was going on. They had uh, Venables as the coach, and a fellow called John Cartwright as as, as as a trainer as well. And um, Arnie Warren was their sort of scout. And then at Millwall, it was a similar sort of setup. Petchy was manager, and he was, yeah. Yeah, they had a coach. The youth team had a coach, which was some of a coup for the club, an Argentinian guy called Oscar Arthur. Um, and is that how he pronounces that? I always called him Oscar, Oscar Ars. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was spelled Ars. But in the company of Phil Coleman, I was relieved to know that he they, he, he pronounced the Spanish C. <laughs> so he called him Oscar <laughs> Arthur. So that's how I refer to him after that. And, and obviously the the, the, the common name that crops up with every single player with a lot of affection was Bob Pearson, which is the chief scout. Absolutely, who was yeah. Almost solely responsible for that team being brought together. And what fascinated me about sort of talking about was how different he was then as a young footballer. You know, but these days footballers are signed up to clubs at the age of eight, and they're, and they're yeah, in the academy, yeah. and they and they and I, I get that, I understand that you don't want footballers to pick up bad habits, and they want them to be properly trained and coached. But in them days, you played for your school, and if you was decent, you played. You got to the school's final, where you played your district, played to the county, that sort of thing. And only then, when you got to school even age, was a club allowed to sort of approach you or, or get a yeah. commitment from you. So you had players. You could be training one week with Arsenal, then Chelsea, then Palace. So the players, the youngsters, were sort of like at the pick. And a lot of these lads at Millwall were obviously really good players, and they'd been, uh, you know, they caught the eye of a lot of the scouts. They were training a lot of the, the, the higher club, top, the Tottenham's, the Chelsea's, the Arsenal's. Yeah. yeah. And a couple of them who were local to West Ham were, were wanted by West Ham. I think they even supported West Ham. And Pearson was that intent on getting them. He got them down. He went to visit their parents. But they all said, once you walked into Mill, there was something different. And you knew there was something good going on. I mean, Kevin O'Callaghan was the first to say that. He said, you walked in, you thought, hang on, this is this is a bit special, this. I think we've and, always prided we've ourselves on Merv. We've, we've always seen that. It's you know I know that the club has never been successful in, in in the terms of others, but one thing you've always had at the den is that warmth and it's like a family. It's a bit of a cliche yeah, in absolutely. some ways, but it's yeah. true, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, few of these players were Mill fanatics. I know Dave Memmott was a local lad, and he was a, he was yeah a through and through with things. Massey, Massey, I think the local boy. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know that was what really got to me was how you know. Most of these clubs were after these, were been keen on these players. They could have signed for them, and they said there was something. Certainly Pearson, and and the, just the, the, the way that the thing, the, the culture of the club, yeah. and, and and bands of course as well. There's a lovely story about one of the few players that wasn't from the local area was Alan McKenna, Scottish, yeah, yeah, he was from Edinburgh, and he was on range, Glasgow Rangers books at the time, and he felt they were messing him about, yeah. So he thought, he, he walked away, and again, this is testament to Pearson. Pearson obviously had some sort of. Uh, Someone up there. Charisma to, to yeah. To, Pick, to... Picked him off, said, here, there's a, there's a lad that's left Rangers who's really good. Just so happened he was playing for Scotland schoolboys against England schoolboys at Wembley. Pearson went along, liked what he saw, and before you knew it, that was it. He, he signed him up. And uh, I remember um, he said, when he so when you think about it, he was 16, McKenna. Yeah, yeah. Mo- moving from his home in Edinburgh down to South London, living in digs in Dulwich with a couple of other players who were able to go home at the weekends or when there wasn't matches. He was on his own in a strange place at 16, which must have been pretty hard. Um, and he says soon after he joined, he was in the Jubilee Club one evening after a match or training. 
and a, a fan approached him and, you know, and he yeah. said, look, I understand you're a long way from home. Yeah. He's welcome around to ask for dinner. And he said, at first, he said, oh, bit, 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 you know, you're okay. But the offer came again and he, he accepted and he went around yeah. for dinner. Yeah. And he became a regular guest and they took him in, took him under their wing. He was around there, he played football with the kids in the garden and and they're still in touch now. They still became lifelong friends and I think that illustrates That's, really well how it was just, just more than just a football club, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a nice, nice, I mean, and you hear those kinds of stories mm. over, over the years. I'll tell you what, one thing just strikes me. I'm just looking at the uh, Wikipedia. I'm looking at the Millwall team here. Yeah. Um, we've mentioned... Um, Kevin O'Callaghan perhaps is the only player that probably really went on to become more widely known. But uh, yeah. what's interesting, me, Merv, is I'm just looking at the Manchester yeah. City team they played. Um, yeah. Um, and again, you, I mean, Tommy Caton was at number Tommy five. Caton, yeah. Um, who went on to to um, and Clive Wilson, I see at number nine. But otherwise, yeah. and I'm just looking below that the previous season. You've mentioned Vince Hilaire. Who, a name name player yeah. for Palace, Steve McKenzie, um, yeah. Steve Lovell, strange to come back to mm. Millwall, one or yeah. two, but no, there's a lot of players. Um, looking at the Aston Villa, Gary Shaw, um, is about yeah. the only name that leaps out. Maybe the, yeah. the names that you know leap out. Many many players don't make it. They they, they no they don't. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Palace probably had the most success and yeah, a did. lot of that. Yeah, a lot of that was down to the fact, and this is a, a big part of the book, was that the, the club at Palace was in really good shape at the time. Had lots of money being chucked at it. I mean, they had they, they spent a fortune getting Malcolm Allison in as manager and and that, and yeah. he he changed the culture of the place. And what they were able to do, and they were able to um, like Venables was in charge. They were able yeah. to bring out George Graham in, so they had a really good settled first team, which was just getting promoted from the third to the second and holding its own in the second. And they could leave those youth team players that won the youth cup in 77 in the youth team and they went and won it again and they grew just a little bit more difference was at Mill they were in an absolute mess I mean mainly thanks to the Panorama programme which you know you say did a lot of damage yeah massive yeah I mean people will say we make excuses but I mean again I go into it in quite a lot of detail in the book because it it, it was a real game changer for hooliganism it it put a stamp on it it put a label on it and, and introduced it to people who perhaps before wouldn't have been interested in it and it did hurt the club because it cost them a manager in Gordon Jago and it, it, it cost them financially. And as a result, yeah, the knock, the knock on effect, as we know from the years of following Mill from, with, with trouble, is it's a knock on effect financially in the, in the club and commercially. So George Petsy was suddenly in the, it, it, as the manager trying to keep them up. And he was having to use players from the youth team. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the players, like Memet, for example, was a, which a regular at 16. And he said he, he, he didn't think it burnt him out. He wasn't bothered because he just wanted to play football. But he kind of thinking that, I mean, we got to the semi-final in, in, in the next one, the next uh, youth cup. And you can't help thinking that if, if that team had perhaps been allowed to just have another season of, of get the confidence up. And yeah, be eased how far could have gone. Team, yeah, eased into a first team more. Whereas there were been, I think in one of his, one of his comments, Petra was he wished he wished, um more of them were old enough to sort of play in the first team, or you know, it's it's you know, yeah, it's yeah, a game that it happened at the, just the wrong time for them because you see the Palace's legacy was they they went on to most of that youth cup winning team went on to get them into the top flight, and although they they, they soon came down again because they all buggered off to QPR, but the, I mean, it made me look at the history of the youth, the competition itself, and say so very few teams from outside the top flight have ever won it, and up until Millwall, every 
team from outside the top division that won the FA Youth Cup went on in a, a couple of years or so to get into the top division. It was because it was like a progression that the club was obviously moving in the right direction all round, you know. And the irony is that Mill had that chance and it, it went the opposite direction. Yeah, I'm mean, just looking at the, 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 the closing fixtures of the 79-80, the third division season. You know, mm. you, you've got Phil Coleman, you've got Mehmet in the team, in the first team, yeah. as well as playing in the Youth Cup. And then, and to reinforce your point now, I mean, the following season, which is a very, very tough third division mm. campaign, you know, the opening day, you've got Gleisier in goal, you've got, just picking out names from the from the youth team there, you've got Martin in there, you've got Mehmet, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kinsella, um, McKenna, I think, finished the previous season up, up front for the first team. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're pitching them into an environment, a third division environment, where they're playing in front of low crowds Definitely. at the den. Yeah. You know, Chester at home on the 30th of August in front of just 3,200 yeah. at the yeah. den. It's a, it's a man's environment, and these were only kids, weren't they? So Yeah, I mean, I think Dave Mehmet himself said, you know, you, you're playing up against just the, just the third division then, it's not so much now, but then they were just huge blokes. It just just great. It was all about knocking you out, not knocking knocking you about and that sort of thing. And whilst they were a little bit prepared for that, because there was, a, you said, the, the midweek, the London midweek league then, which was the reserve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then you'd be up against a, an old stager who was trying to get his first team place back or recovering from injury and you'd get knocked about a bit. Men against boys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a bit different doing that occasionally than playing, doing it week in, week out and you, you get to your Chesterfields and your Chesters and, and that sort of thing. And it did wear a lot of them down. Um, and then the, I think the, the big issue came, or the, the, the real death now, was when Peter Anderson came in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which again... You know, you, you can't talk to any more youth player from that youth team without talking about Peter Anderson, and, and the reaction is usually the same. It, and it's another very bizarre chapter of Mill's history, really, the whole Peter Anderson era, because so many of these players were shipped out um, under the impression that they needed to go to ease the wage bill or to help the club, you know, stay yeah. alive. But it wasn't actually the case, but, um, it, which is which is quite bizarre. Fractious time in the club's history, very difficult yeah, definitely. time. Anderson, you, I mean, my instinctive, as soon as you said his name, my instinct was to laugh. I'm sure that um, yeah. You're, yeah. you're the same, Merv. I'm sure anyone of that era will be the same. It was, these were difficult mm. times. But yeah. this is a this is a very, very interesting book, dear listeners. Go on to Amazon, type in the words uh, Ordinary Boys Book, Merv Payne, and it will pop up. It's well worth a buy. If you're into um, Millwall literature, and you're, you're becoming a bit of a prolific um Producer of Millwall literature, Merv Payne. Um, you know, you're, you're 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 carving out a niche for yourself here. <laughs> yes, yeah, well, it's definitely a labour of love, that's for sure. It's something I've always enjoyed doing. Yeah, I've enjoyed doing it. And and I mean, the the thing that I got from talking to all these players again, which I think was interesting, was it was just it sounds a bit corny now, but it was just the, they did it for the pure love of the game. That all of them absolutely loved football, yeah. and one way I fell in love with playing for Millwall and. I actually asked the same question I asked all of them was like, you know, is there any sort of bitterness when you think about the game now? If you achieve now what you achieved back then, you know, how different it would be, and would you, would you do it differently? Would you rather swap places? And literally all of them said no. They they wouldn't. They they they're quite happy doing what they've done when they With did. With the it. experience they had, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, because it was so different. And I mean, I'll leave it to to the readers to to to, uh, to, to read. Judge. Alan, the, the payoff in the book from Alan McKenna is. I think, anyway, proper sort of goosebump stuff and sort of thing that fans, you know, really want to read or hear from the from the players. And 
you know, McKenna, you know, he's a really interesting guy. Um, he, he's one of the few that stayed in the game, um, scouted at, uh, at Newcastle for Bobby Robson and, and Forrest or Barnsley Forrest and, and Harps. Yeah. And has only just walked away because he's, you know, he's, just, he's disillusioned with the way the game's now operated. Become. And how, yeah, yeah. And yeah, he was, he, he was really, really quite illuminating about what, what he thought about the way the game's gone. And I think a lot of fans these days would, would agree as well. That's fantastic. Well, to read that payoff list, you're going to have to get the book. And there's only one way to get the book. That's to go on to Amazon. Yeah. Um, you, you can follow Merv on on Twitter. You're you're you're, you're at Merv Payne. Um, That's right. On, yeah. On Twitter. Yeah, I've so, been spending a lot of time on that lately. Haven't we all, mate? Haven't we all? Yeah. We're in the current <laughs> current time. To be honest. Yeah. But, um, follow Merv um, at Merv Payne on Twitter. Um, get yourself on Amazon. You've got nothing else to do for a few weeks while this virus <laughs> virus plays out, and you can find out what that payoff from Alan McKenna was in the in the book. So. That's wonderful stuff, Merv. Really appreciate no. you coming on on the uh, on the phone today, mate. Um, no problem, Nick. Good to talk to you. Keep in touch. We'll do some we'll of this again another day, I hope. Yeah, whenever you want to, mate. Anytime. Lots we can talk about. That's wonderful stuff. Yeah. Merv Payne, dear listeners. Thank you very much, Merv. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. You're listening to Achten Millwall. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I hope you enjoyed that with, with Merv. Um, as I said on the, the, the interview piece, you can get the book off of Amazon. Go on to Amazon, type in the words Ordinary Boys, uh, book, Merv Payne, any variation of those words, and you'll, you'll find it quite easily. I think it was 10.99 when I checked earlier on today, so... Well worth a read. All of Merv's stuff is good because my dad does. I particularly recommend. So again, you can get that on 
on Amazon. Now, just to, to close out this, um, this section of today's double header show, I thought we'd do the old random fixture. So let's um, run the randomizer, shall we, dear listeners? Let's see what we get. Nineteen thirteen is what we get. Um, so the way this thing works is, I have a look on my British newspaper archive for nineteen thirteen, March the the twenty fifth, or as close as we can get to it, and see what we turn up. So have a, let's have a quick look. The fixture that we have, we actually have a, a copy of an utterly fascinating newspaper um I'm, i don't know about you i'm a huge fan of old newspapers i just love the um the look the sound the feel um everything the adverts you name it the just the style of, of old newspapers and this is a wonderful newspaper called the sportsman which was um a sport as the name implies it was a sports newspaper that ran i see from wikipedia from 1865 um as a kind of a stable mate to the sporting life uh, the sportsman Ran till 1924 when it must have folded or merged, possibly with the sporting life itself, I guess. Um, interestingly, just before we go into the Millwall part of the of the of the uh, random fixture, um, the sportsman uh, is at the offices of the sportsman on the 20th of July, 1871, at the Football Association committee meeting was held, which adopted a proposal to establish a knockout competition, which came to be called the FA Cup. Um, so that we have the Sportsman newspaper to thank for um, their good offices allowing the FA to to consider the the formation of the FA Cup. But this this edition is dated Tuesday, March the twenty fifth, and I see that in the Southern League that or the Good Friday, be a few days earlier on, it's the twenty twenty first of March, nineteen thirteen. We all got beat, got beat by Plymouth. Um, Southern League Division One, the report says. A sensational start, says the sportsman, playing at home on Good Friday. Plymouth Argyle defeated Millwall in the Southern League by the odd goal in three. So it's finished uh, Millwall 1, Plymouth 2. Um, the report continues. At New Cross yesterday afternoon, a hard and strenuous game, which, the sportsman says, might easily have taken the most unpleasant turn had the referee not taken ha- matters in hand admirably. Uh, okay. Some things never change. Some things never change. And one thing you do learn about history is there are no new stories. And um, unpleasant turns at Millwall seem to have been a theme going back. I mean, Mill would have moved into the den in New Cross in 1910. So this is dated 1913, so three years after the move across the river from the Isle of Dogs. Um, a crowd of, of, of 20, some 20,000 spectators are reported by the sportsman at the den. Um, Millwall lacked the services of Dilly. Uh, they didn't really go for first names back in these times, so it's surnames only. Dilly. Um, uh, and the Lions opened up in sensational fashion. And uh, Oh, Argyle opened up in sensational fashion and actually took lead in about 30 seconds. Um, subsequently, Millwall did nearly all the pressing and it was only occasionally that um, Spendiff in had to touch the ball, um, but eventually um, Plymouth Argyle beat the Lions by two goals to one. The teams that day, I thought I'd just read some of these names out. These are old school Millwall um, names, pre-First World War. Um, one name in particular I can see that's leaping out of me. Um, Millwall, so Spendiff was a Millwall goalkeeper. Spendiff, 
Kirkwood and Jeffrey, so it's like a firm of solicitors, actually less of a couple of defenders. Kirkwood and Jeffrey, Butterworth, Wilson and Voicey. Bill Voicey, there's a name. You want, I want you to keep that name in mind because we will come back to Bill Voicey when or if life ever returns back to normal. But I might do a little show on Bill Voicey all on his own because he is a name and a name that should be better known around the, the mill scene in my humble opinion. Uh, Wilson and Voicey, Waymont, Quinn, Davis, Moody, not Paul Moody, not then, and Vincent. Um, so yeah, got beat that day. The the table uh, to the right of the of the report shows Exeter City at this point. Nine, this will be the end of the 1912-1913 season. Exeter City on top of the table. Millwall into fifth position just behind Crystal Palace. Bottom of the table, Stoke City. Um, this would be the first division. So I guess they could be relegated to the, the uh, Southern League second division at this point. Some fantastic other articles. I'm just looking at um, the adverts for the, the the Sportsman's Weekly Horse Racing Guide and Lunar Month. I don't know what Lunar Month was. Um, to meet the wishes of subscribers, the Sportsman have now doubled the size of the Lunar Month. Um, must be a pro. Must be a program of horse racing, I reckon. And they'll send it to you for free, free pence, free D in old money. Um, and it's, it must be a monthly magazine on, on the horse racing. So I get lots of adverts in, I'm sorry to, to dwell on some of the adverts. I just love this kind of stuff. Um, the, the adverts for the Great Central Railway to take you to Leicester Spring Races. Uh, the Rugby Hunt Steeplechasing and Aylesbury Hunt Steeplechasers. A luncheon and dining car will leave London, Marylebone and take the rugby, um, leaving London at 11.10 a.m., um, arriving, arriving, arriving 12.45 for the races, and there's others at Birmingham, um, Birmingham races, I see, London Northwestern Railway, wonderful stuff. Adverts, I love the adverts. Situations vacant, um, how about this one, lad wanted, this could be read a number of different ways, dear listeners. Situations vacant, lad wanted, um, right to the, um, the the sportsman's offices with your age, height and weight. You must be a good stableman and able to ride good exercise. Wage, 25, no, it's five shillings, five shillings per week. Apply, giving the last name of your last employer. Apologies, this is a little bit fuzzy. That's why I've stumbled a little bit on some of the reports earlier on. And there's other adverts for horse racing, race jackets and cap, caps. Point to point hunting, um, there's, there's coats, uh, grey hunting colours, and, and so on and so forth. This is wonderful, wonderful stuff. So there we are, 1913, May 25th. In the news that day, or well, the nearest thing I found that of any interest from a, a UK perspective was a few days earlier at Cowley in Oxford. The Morris Motor Company opened up its first production line, Ford, Henry Ford-style production line, for Morris cars being made at Oxford at Cowley. Um, that was a few days before this particular fixture, which took place on May the uh, March the 25th, 1913, in the Southern League, First Division, Millwall 1, Plymouth Argyle 2, uh, all brought to you courtesy of the Sportsman newspaper. I hope you've enjoyed that. You are listening to Achten Millwall. I just want to say thank you, a couple of thank yous before we close out this little section of the show. 
Um, I want to say thank you to um, Alan from Alpington, who sent me a really, really nice email, which I'll read to you if I may, and I hope I'm not embarrassing Alan. Um, just want to say thank you for during this lockdown for making it much more bearable with your shows. Please, please keep it up and help us Mill fans stay sane. Brackets, well, sort of sane. It's not just a human, but I'm amazed at your knowledge of the club and its history. I'm always more cheerful after listening to the podcast. That's really appreciated, Alan from Alpington. And I just want to say a big thank you to John Williams out there. He's also sent me some photos of um, where I used to live in um, Grange Walk in, in Bermondsey, 66 St. Vincent's House. And he's gone up and taken a photo of the view of the courtyard of St. Vincent's House. And that is fantastic, John. Really appreciate that, mate. Um, do keep in touch with us. Um, it's really nice to hear. Shout out to Mike Bissaker as well, who sent me a, a, an email here about villains. This might be worth it. We, we, we had too much niceness. Let's go for some villains just to close out today's show. Um, big villains in football for Mike is the Premier League, which he says is the, the biggest, fattest pig in the farmyard. And when, <laughs> when it's feeding time, the Premier League waddles up, pushing everyone else out of the way. Despite others having greater needs, it sticks its huge nose into the trough and gobbles all it consumes as quick as it can. It then produces mealy-mouthed statements about how it cares about the other pigs. This is a farmyard thing going on here, Mike. I like it. Um, but it does nothing to help the other pigs. Mm. Uh, the only hope is the beast will explode at some stage and spill its entrails everywhere, taking all of its namby-pamby clubs with it. That's the Premier League done for. Um, another villainous group from Mike, Palace supporters. Um, he's, he's, he was scarred at Campbell Green Wilson School, which was a split between 50-50 between Mill and Palace. Not, not just a football split, says Mike, um, but I, still, I think this continues to some extent. The social split of working class versus middle class. I hated them then, and I hate them now. <laughs> Mike's a man of strong opinions. You should meet Harry, Mike. You, you like Harry. Uh, and he goes on about the ultras with their song sheets and their singing sections. What's that all about? Asks Mike. Pure middle class Premier League actions, taking the joy and spirit out of football. Football is a working class game, says Mike. Not one for families with their picnics, go to the polo or rugby union if you want that. And his last video, I'm going to include this one. Um, I don't think we can libel Lee Hughes, can we? Um, one of the most disgusting people on the planet, says Mike. <laughs> And uh, we all know the Lee Hughes story, so I won't dwell on that, but um, I just thought it was a nice, um, a nice uh, way to, to close it out. So thank you, Mike. Thank you to, to John, and thank you to Alan from Orpington. Much appreciated, chaps. Do keep in touch with us. Achtung Millwall, all one word, at gmail.com, or come on the, um, get on the, get on the, get on the old uh, voicemail, 0208 144 0232. If you're calling from abroad, stick a plus four four on the front. I think you dropped the zero of 0208. I'm sure you'll get through somehow or another. Um, big thank you for listening today, dear listeners. That really is it. Double header today, a lot of content. Um, it's busier than this lockdown is at work. Arriva Dirty Millwall. All the best. Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. 
all one word, achtongnungel at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232. Leave us a voicemail. No human will be involved in the receipt of your message. So give us a shout, tell us what you think about all things Millwall, and the best messages will be read out on air. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.